Let's hear God's word from the book of Acts, chapter 14, beginning with verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 20 of Acts chapter 14. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we have read this portion of your word, and as we seek to be stirred up to thanksgiving, not only to thanksgiving as an occasional, as a yearly act of saying one or two things we're thankful for, but thanksgiving as a way of life, thanksgiving as a condition of our heart, gratitude, thanksgiving as the primary driver of our whole Christian life and behavior. We ask that you would show us from this passage some of the many reasons we have for gratitude. And what a blessing it is to be a grateful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is all by itself an interesting little episode in the book of Acts. There's a parallel here between Peter and Paul. You might remember that earlier in the book of Acts, Peter had healed a lame man and he also stood up and was walking and leaping and praising God, and a great multitude gathered, and Peter had an opportunity to preach the gospel. Well, here you see it's a different context. It's a pagan city. They are not even speaking Greek, at least not natively. Greek may be their second language, something they can communicate well enough in, but not what they're speaking at home. And yet there's a similar reaction, except that because of their ignorance, because of their lack of acquaintance with the scriptures and with the God of the scriptures, when when the Lycaonians see the miracle, they decide that the gods have come among them in human form. There was a story, one of the Greek myths that was spread around, that Zeus and Hermes, Zeus being the sky god, the chief god, the king god, so to speak, and Hermes being the messenger of the gods, the Harold, who went around and told people messages 
as well as the patron god of thieves, by the way. Journalist and thief all together, huh? Well, what do you know? However, there was a legend that Zeus and Hermes had come before and they were not recognized, they were mistreated. Only one family in Phrygia showed hospitality and so they were rewarded by having their house turned into a temple and by being made priests. So possibly this story had set the region a little bit on edge or had made them more alert. In any case, they were not going to lose the opportunity if Zeus and Hermes had come back among them in the likeness of men. Well, they were going to offer sacrifices to them. So after Paul heals this man, well, it is remarkable. I mean, he had never walked, and now he's walking, he's leaping. So they decided that Paul was Hermes because he was the talkative one, and that made Barnabas the quieter one, Zeus, the king of the gods. So they brought bulls garlanded with flowers. They were going to go all out. They were going to offer sacrifice. They were going to honor the gods among them, as they thought. But of course, Paul and Barnabas were not going to stand for that. Now, obviously, there was more to their ministry in this city than just what we're told here. Paul was speaking when he saw the lame man and saw that he had faith to be healed. There was a church established there and elders were ordained. So we shouldn't get the impression that everybody in the whole town was caught up with this and shared in the ignorance of these others. But when the crowd came together, when the priest of Zeus is coming to offer sacrifice to you, that's kind of a crisis you can't ignore. You have to do something about that. You can't let that go forward. You might remember a little earlier in the book of Acts, King Herod had given a speech And in order to flatter him, some of his audience had said, it is the voice of a God and not a man. And God immediately struck him with worms because he did not give glory to God. Well, of how much sore punishment do you suppose would the apostles have been worthy if they had allowed the fictions of idolatry not only to go on, but to go on unprotested and to go on with themselves as the beneficiaries of that unprotested idolatry. So they run into the crowd, tearing their clothes in sign of distress and crying out, why are you doing these things? We're just like you. We're no different. We have a message about the true God, but we're on the same level as you are. We are men of like passions. They managed to restrain the people. And no doubt the ministry continued for a little bit. We're not told what other teaching was involved. But then when jealous Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, they persuaded them to stone Paul. They presumably thought Paul was dead, but Paul was not dead. However, there was another miracle there because if you were stoned to the point where other people thought you were dead, you're probably not going to get up and walk back into the city unassisted under your own steam. And then the next day walk to a whole nother city. So there was also a miracle of healing for Paul involved in this passage. Now I say all of this by way of introduction, and I mention all of these different points because we're zooming in on one verse. We want to focus particularly on that one verse, but I don't want to give you a misimpression of the ministry here. What Paul said to prevent the priest of Zeus from offering a bull to him was not the whole of Paul's message. There's more that Paul had said, there's more that Paul would say, and there's a lot more that he could say. 
But in his message, trying to prevent this outburst of grotesque idolatry, Paul contains, or Paul embeds, a very important message. And you can find it in verse 17. God did not leave himself without witness. Now, it's true the Lycaonians had been worshiping in this way for a long time. I don't know how long the temple had been there. I don't know how long there had been a succession of priests of Zeus. But if you go back into the Old Testament, if you go back to Abraham, you find people already engaged in idolatry. In Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham knew what it was to participate in idolatry. So idolatry is very, very, very old, is the point there. This may have been going on for a long time. And when they hear, we're preaching to you about the true God, they might have thought, well, hold on, the true God, the universal God, the God who created everything, he wouldn't let us go so far astray. He wouldn't leave himself without witness. And so Paul explains, in fact, God did not leave himself without witness. Here you have these pagans, here you have these gross idolaters, Were they without witness? The word of God had not come to them. There was no synagogue in that place. They were not familiar with Moses and the prophets. But there was a witness all the same. It's true they didn't have all the information that some people had. But there was a witness nonetheless. So what I want to do is just talk a little bit about the witnesses that Paul mentions. Now, he uses the singular. He did not leave himself without witness. But then he mentions several things. He mentions that God did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So depending on how you want to break those up, you could talk about maybe five witnesses. So why does Paul call it all one witness? Because they all speak to the same thing. They all have the same point, the same message, the same testimony that these witnesses bear. God did good. That's the basic, that's the fundamental witness. That's the category that embraces all of the others. And here's the reality. If you are a human being, if you're created, I I mean, I'm speaking to human beings, but if there's any lizards listening, if you exist... You've experienced goodness. Existence is good. It's a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold the sun. Feeling the breeze, feeling the wind in your face, feeling warmth when you've been cold or cool when you've been too hot. Those things are all good. If you exist, you have experienced goodness. Where? Did that goodness come from? What was the source? What was the origin of it? God did good. So any time that you have enjoyed rain or thunder or spring or flowers or whatever it is that you enjoy in the created world, that's a witness to God. And what that means then is that there is no human being who has not felt that witness. I'm not saying they've understood. I'm not saying they've appreciated. But have they experienced it? 
Well, yes, they have. If you're here, there was a time when you were a baby and you were hungry, and one way or another you got fed. You experienced goodness. There was a time when you were distressed, when you were crying, and you were comforted. You got over it. You felt better. You've experienced goodness. God did good. God is doing good constantly, all the time, to all of us. Now, I know there are people who are in very hard circumstances. You read about prisoners of war in Vietnam or in the Japanese camps in World War II. You read about the conditions of people who were imprisoned in the Middle Ages. You think about people who grow up in a cult or these different terrible circumstances, people whose homelands are invaded and who go through the horrors of war. Yes, there's a lot that is really hard. But the sun rises there too. There is something to enjoy. There is something to experience that tells you that even your captors, even your oppressors are not all powerful, that they're not the creators of the world, that they're not the ones who get to dictate how everything is. It's pretty sad if a rat falling into your soup makes it a good day. I understand that. Okay, like I'm not longing for that kind of a day. But when you're starving on inadequate soup and a rat falls into your soup and there's some extra protein, okay, that's still a form of goodness, right? It's better than it could have been. God does good all the time. And he does this universally. We saw that in Psalm 33 in our responsive reading. The earth is full of what? Of the goodness of the Lord. Now, we can look around and we can say the world is full of sin, the world is full of sorrow, the world is full of suffering, and those things are all also true. But they don't cancel the reality that the whole earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And Paul particularizes that. If you just say, well, there's goodness all around, maybe people don't know what you mean by that. So he specifies it. God gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. There's an undeserved bounty that descends out of the sky, more frequently some places than others. But the rain does come. And it does make a difference. It does lead to fruitful seasons. Of course, they would have attributed this to Zeus. But Paul says, no, it wasn't Zeus. It's the creator God, the only true God who sends the rain, and who brings about the fruitful seasons. What's the result of that? Well, he fills our hearts with food. When you eat, you are experiencing the goodness of God. Your heart is full. You eat, you're satisfied, you feel good. Of course, if you eat too much, you might not feel so good. But if you eat enough, you feel good. What are you experiencing? You're experiencing the goodness of God. It's God who gives the food. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not supposed to be mouthing a platitude we don't actually believe. We're supposed to see that every day the food we enjoy comes from God. So take your favorite food, fill in the blank, 
That food came from God. Maybe it's potatoes. Well, potatoes are a gift of God. Maybe it's bread. Bread is also a gift of God. Maybe it's meat. Maybe it's cheese. I don't know. Maybe it's fruit. Maybe it's vegetables. They're all gifts of God. But God did not just fill their hearts with food. He filled their hearts with food and gladness. Now, I think those things are connected. Not that food is the only thing that makes you happy, but that if you don't have enough to eat, it is legitimately hard to be happy. I think we can all understand that. When you're hungry, it's hard to be happy. So God fills our hearts with gladness partially through giving us food. But gladness is more than that. Sometimes you'll see maybe, say, a family at an amusement park or something and a woman in her 40s and three kids go down a slide and they're all beaming, they have happy faces. It doesn't take that much to make us happy, at least not for a few seconds, right? It might not last long, but we have experienced it. We've experienced pleasure, which in one sense is irrational. If you start to analyze it, it's like, why do we like to drive with the windows open? Or why do we like this? Why do we like that? Well, maybe it doesn't make sense, but it still feels good. It still makes you happy while you're doing it. So you've all experienced, everybody has experienced, the whole world has experienced something along those lines. It may be different things for different people, but you have experienced these things. God has filled your hearts with food and with gladness. So could these pagans have known better? Yes, they could have. God had given them a witness. That witness bore in this five-fold voice. And, uh, you know, of course, Paul is just giving some examples here. You could multiply this, right? There's a lot of other good things in life. It's not just food. Food is maybe the, uh, you know, rain and food, harvest and food. Those are the obvious ones. And that's why we celebrate these things, right? That's one big reason for a Thanksgiving feast is the Lord's goodness has been parked on our tables. That's something to be thankful for. But there's so much more than that as well. In other words, here's the basic point. Every good thing bears witness to God. Now, some do them in one way, some in another, but every good thing bears witness to God. So every good thing you have ever experienced is a witness for the true God, the creator God the God who made the heavens and the earth. It's not a witness concerning salvation. It's not a witness concerning the plan of redemption. It's not a witness that tells you how you can be forgiven for your sins. But it is a witness and a true witness at that. So what do all these witnesses say? What is their message to us? Their message is that God is good. God is goodness. Now, I think if you were to analyze it, if you were to think about it carefully, you could probably get out of them that God created the world because where does all the goodness come from? Well, if it comes from God, then this world is derivative of him. It's dependent on him. It doesn't exist all by itself. Somebody made it and somebody made it good. I think you could probably get that from the witness. But even if you didn't make it to that 
point, even if you weren't clear about the relationship between God and the world, if you didn't know that he was its creator and that he's a a whole different order of being than the world is, even if you didn't get that far, you would still have to get to this point that God is good. Because where does all this doing of good come from? Why does rain fall? Why does rainfall result in fruitful seasons? Why do those fruitful seasons turn into delicious food that we eat and that not only make us strong, but that also make us happy? Why is all of that happening? It's happening because God is good. Good is communicative. Good shares. Good spreads the goodness around, if you will. Good isn't miserly. Good isn't stingy. Good doesn't say, no, you can't have anything nice. Well, how does God treat this whole world? The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Now, as I said, there were many other things that Paul would need to say to these people to bring them into the church. This is not enough. This is not the witness of special revelation. This is the witness of general revelation. Does that mean that it has no use and no value for us who know better, who have been instructed from our youth to know a great deal more than this? No, it doesn't mean that. Because we also experience God's goodness in this way. But we have the advantage. We know the God whose goodness we're experiencing. And so let me suggest a couple of applications here. The first, the obvious application, of course, is to gratitude. Where does every good thing in your life come from? What is its source? What is its origin? Well, it comes from God. So what is the first, the basic, appropriate response to every good thing? Thanksgiving. Acknowledging that you have received this from God. That's where it starts. And honestly, that's the first duty of creatures, of those who have been created. Our very being is dependent on another. We wouldn't exist without God's goodwill. So yes, the first response, the first duty that we have is of gratitude. In general, we should know that. In general, people should know that. But I do think we have to give some credit to the Reformed churches here. The way the catechism is organized with that emphasis on gratitude, with that emphasis on gratitude as the whole spring of Christian living with gratitude as the prevailing note of everything that we're supposed to do, whether it's keeping the Ten Commandments or praying according to the Lord, praying and living according to the Lord's Prayer, our catechism has that. It gets that gratitude is fundamental. There are three great things you're supposed to know. The greatness of your sin and misery how you're redeemed from all your sins and misery, how you are to be grateful to God for such redemption. Gratitude makes that top three list. That's a profound biblical insight. And it's something we do well to internalize. How often do you go through your day with this little internal monologue of grumbling? Oh, this is so hard. Oh, I hate this. Oh, I can't stand that. If people knew you're working my last nerve, right? Am I the only one? Please tell me I'm not the only one. 
I don't want to be the only one. I mean, I want to stop being that one. What should our internal monologue be? What an amazing blessing. What a great thing. Look, here's the goodness of God reaching me in yet another way. Wouldn't that be a whole different internal landscape? It sure would be. Not anxiety, not frustration, not stress, but gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Don't lose sight of that. It's so simple. It's so basic. But yes, it's basic because you can build on top of it. But if you don't have it at the foundation, your building wobbles until it falls over. Gratitude is really important. It's your first duty as a creature. And it's not a painful duty. Having a grateful heart is another blessing. In some ways, it's the cherry on top of the other blessings because it's the one that lets you appreciate them for what they are. Good gifts from God. Who enjoys their meal more? The person who is hypercritical, you know, I think this turkey's a little undercooked or whatever it may be. Or the person who says, you know what? I didn't deserve this and God gave it to me anyway. Who has more fun at that meal? You know the answer to that. Gratitude enriches our enjoyment of the gifts that we receive. In that way, a grateful heart is yet another gift from God. And the main way we seek it is we ask God to teach us to be truly thankful. But there's another application that we can draw from this as well. Everybody, everybody has experienced the goodness of God. That doesn't mean they've acknowledged it. That doesn't mean they're clear in their head about it. But everybody has experienced the goodness of God. And so with everybody you meet, you have a way, you have an in to explain to them that God is good, to follow up on what they already know. And it might be very minimal, but you can follow up with what they already know with more that they don't know, which is exactly what Paul did here. The Lycaonians had experienced God's good working, rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, hearts filled with food and gladness. That was what they knew. And Paul built on that to tell them about the God they didn't know, the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. When you meet somebody and you don't know how to talk to them, one thing you can do is you can ask them questions. You can find out what feels good to them, what in their experience lets them see that there's goodness in the world. And you can tell them who made that. If they're coffee aficionados, you can tell them that the true God is the God of coffee, God who made that remarkable little bean. And I mean, that's just an illustration, right? You can roll with whatever it may happen to be. There's a point of contact. And the point of contact is just that we have all experienced the goodness of God. I hope that reminder will help us to be grateful to God and to enjoy the blessings more. Because what kind of a God is borne witness to by hearts filled with food and gladness? A God who is good. A God in whose light we see light. At whose right hand there are pleasures forevermore, a God who does bring gladness to the weary, troubled, oppressed heart, the kind of God 
who sends his son to be the savior of the world. Amen.